The following discussion is not necessarily the views of all involved. The goal is to start open and honest discussion in the Christian worldview. Like all things, weigh what you hear with what you know and join us in our pursuit for the truth. Enjoy the podcast. This analogy is terrible. This is awful. Or our other website, Art Watchers. Artwatchers. Artwatchers.org. Archwalkers is a different domain I also want to own. The Lord made you special and he loves you very much. All right, I'd like to welcome everyone to the Second Rate Saints podcast. I'm one of your hosts here, Caleb. To my left is... I am Joshua. To my left is... I'm Joel. And to my left... I'm Colton. And to my left... It's me. Back around, Caleb. Um, Sadly... We are missing Stuart yet again. However, all four of us are here, mm-hmm. which feels like it hasn't happened for a while. It's always been some, two, oh, it's three. Been a, it's been a while. Yeah. I, I'm excited. I'm excited about this. Uh, Joel, do we do things on the internet? All the time. <laughs> yeah, we've got uh, we got a website, secondratesaints.com. Uh, we've got an email, secondratesaints at gmail.com. And we've got an Instagram, which is also secondratesaints. Um I think it's just at Second Rate Saints. However, Instagram does that. We've also started posting on threads and Twitter um, because I got bored at work the other day. So, <laughs> well, not my not my pastor work, my different work that I'm not going to disclose to the podcast. Related to the forklift, though, right? Related to the forklift. Did I post it online? <laughs> I did. I posted on the Instagram a picture of my forklift. <laughs> Which I'm not certified to drive, but I did in fact drive. So, yeah, it was a lot of interesting. Fun. Now you can't share where you've worked. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, probably. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's uh, that's what we're doing online. Check us out. Um, we just passed a hundred subs on YouTube. Uh, we'd really appreciate it if you kept pushing that number upwards. Uh, invite a friend, family member, uh, or another person in fellowship. I don't know. Um, oh. Yeah. Fr- I'm gonna to have to streamline that somehow. Invite them to the conversation. Yeah, yeah. Invite them to the to the show. Send us emails with questions and cool stuff. Cause oh, I love we've, it. we're getting some content up in here. Um, <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a lie. <laughs> oh yes, yes, sorry. No, um, we are getting some some feedback uh, both through comments and through emails. Um, hopefully, they're all gonna culminate in a thoughts in real time episode where I take those ideas uh, that are presented to the podcast by our um, small community we've began to build and answered by you guys in real time. Yeah, so uh, look forward to that. Um, yeah, uh, what have you read? What who, Who's doing the what have you read this week? What have we read? What have we read? Oh, that's what Not I don't me. know. Other than, other than Colton. Colton. What has everyone but Colton read? <laughs> um, Notes from Underground by Fyodor Dovsietsky. Hmm. Sorry, can you say that name again? Dovsietsky. Is that how you say it? Sure, that's how I say it. <laughs> I, I actually don't know how to say it. Fyodor Dostoevsky. I don't think that's it. Nope. <laughs> See, I might be wrong, but I know you're wrong. There's a buddy of mine that just started listening to the podcast that knows Russian, so maybe we'll get a fan email and voice recording of that. I don't know if that's going to be a fan email. I think he's going to be very... No, he'll be a fan. He's a upset. nice guy about it. Yeah. Okay. He stopped listening as soon as we butchered. <laughs> He's done. As soon as we um, said Dovsayetsky, he's like, we're out. However, Notes from Underground, small book, 
200 pages, depending on translation, 200, 150, 200, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, how would you describe it? Because my general description has been a man's descent into a weird form of nihilism mm-hmm. with philosophical reflection, with unreliable philosophical reflection. I, I don't think... I think that's that's correct, but I don't think it's as sophisticated as that. Like for the for the the literary critic, it is, but for the person, it's just a man with zero conscientiousness and no friends. I suppose, but it's difficult not to. Well, he, he discusses it in the beginning of the book. Um, these stories aren't true, but the people are real. Yeah. Right. Like these people exist in the world. And I think it's very difficult for somebody to walk away from a reading of Notes from Underground without some reflection on the human condition. So mm-hmm. I, I think that it's impossible not to be a literary critic when, sure. when reading well, it. Um, yeah. I think it's, we were, we thought about talking about crime and punishment. That may be the next one, actually. But um, like crime and punishment, mm-hmm. There'll be characters in this book, most particularly the main character, mainly because it's such a short book and there's Mm -hmm. only so many characters to actually get involved with. Um, But in both, in so much of Dovsietsky's work, there are characters and then every now and then you'll go, oh, I've seen that person. He is me. Mm -hmm. Or I've seen that person. He's so-and-so. Or you'll look at someone and go, oh, that's how... That's how people do those things. That was my shoulder. Did you guys hear that? I did. cracked a little bit. Um, yeah, and that's so that's fascinating. So it's um, not to spoil the the plot, quote unquote. Um, it's kind of an account of a depressed, lonely um, intellectual who's gotten himself basically into a, into a zero sum game. Mm-hmm. Into a what's what's it called? Like a Moloch. Uh, You're gonna have to explain what a zero sum game is for the audience. Yeah, it, there's no and positive way out. Mm-hmm. Like right. there's there's no without outside influence, he will mm-hmm. only continue to spiral downward. Yeah, right. There's no positive way out, and so but it's also a reflection on this. Like, how do you become a good person when mm-hmm. you are mm-hmm. in? that type of when you're in such a bad environment that you yourself <laughs> constructed how do you progress and the, the the thing is is you 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 can't you can't at least on your own mm-hmm. and that's why and, and hmm. under underpinning it and i don't think it actually comments on it but it the whole thing is is kind of a commentary on what humans are without community i think mm-hmm. to a certain yeah degree. and it's even kind of played on with his job being um a government worker mm-hmm. who works in a government office and basically retires off of that and just continues to be someone who um, doesn't necessarily enjoy other people's misery, but is so disinterested in true relationship with human beings um, that he would, and he's in a zero sum game. There's nothing he can do to actually increase his um, enjoyment of life. It's, and then, it's real sad. And and the way the book is structured too, and, and you should look out of this for this. If you, if you read notes from underground is, um, the first section is basically just his journal and his ranting and rambling. That kind of shows you the ideology he's going to be following throughout the rest of the book. And then the second half is um, an account of his life, <laughs> of yeah. a day in the life of of this guy. And it just it just tore me apart when I read it. It was uh, no, you read it in one day. Yeah, I read it in one, <laughs> one day. <laughs> it was a sitting. terrible day. <laughs> so during COVID, I was quarantining for two weeks in a place with no cell service or Wi-Fi. I remember that. So I had this book and I just, I sat with it 
and I read it and I was quarantining with my mom actually. <laughs> and I uh, just, I was just crying. I was like, this sucks so bad. <laughs> But it was, it's one of those books that, that hits you kind of more emotionally than intellectually. Were you um, but then and isolated with just notes from underground and your mom? Yeah. That, well, and, that sorry, sucks. That and I read the entirety of Words of Radiance by Brandon Sanderson, okay, yeah. which is about 1,200 words, 1,200 pages. Way more optimistic. Um, yeah. Excellent book. Read anything by Brandon Sanderson. Um, Atlantis is like, okay, I'm going through it right now. Anyway, sorry. Sidebar. Um, um Back to Nose from Underground. Yeah, I, th- I got I got a slightly different tone from the book, hmm. I think, than you two. Hmm. Uh, for me, it was definitely like, yes, he's he's stuck in a horrible situation. He doesn't have community, and he's he can't get out of it. But he's also not helping himself. Well, that's yeah, because because I because I, I, I was going to bring up the he's given an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but what I mean is like he's. He's he blames the world for his position, and so that's and he treats the world in such a way as a result. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't re he doesn't give any ownership to the fact that he's adding to his own problem. Mm. I I think there be, there comes a realization of that, but I think that that's kind of the 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 plot of the second mm-hmm. half is exploring that, that question there. Yeah. Uh, but like it's, it's in that way that it enters your head, but you don't act on it. You yeah. don't, you don't take it f- for any, you, it, it's just a passing thought. Oh, maybe I'm doing something that's an, that's maybe I'm treating people horribly. No, that he's, he knows he's in a bad situation. There's a cognitive dissonance. Interesting, because I don't, I don't know if I'd actually agree with that. That's interesting. Yeah. I'm going to have to reread it now. Um, what have you condemned me to? <laughs> so Maybe we'll both have to reread it. As, as someone who hasn't actually read the book, but I do know a bit about it, how easy of a read is it? Could someone pick it up off a shelf and dive straight into it? Or is it going to be one of those books that requires like full attention and for them to reflect on like chapters as they finish them. Translation matters a lot, especially okay. with any Dovsietsky book. Um, yeah. Yeah, I had re- actually, when I was reading through Crime and Punishment, I had to switch translators because I found the one guy was just too, um, I think it's just too word for word on the on the mm-hmm. Russian, or maybe it was an, it was an older um, translation, so it wasn't quite as up to date on some of the terminology. But There's a... It's either a husband and wife or a yep. brother and sister. Yeah, it is they, husband and wife. They're great. Yeah, and they do the series through. Is it Basic Books? Is that what it's called? I know Basic Books is a series. I don't know. It's a yeah, publisher. It's, it's not publisher Basic Books. Series. I don't think it's it's something else. Okay, sorry. Then. In in terms of the book, what would you guys give it as a five? Five Halos, one five. It's five for me. It was just so good. It uh, okay. I was thinking about. How it's in it, my, uh, in, now I need to read it, but category. I suppose. I mean, it really depends on the kind of person you are, too. If you can, uh, if you can take those ideas and kind of, you know, flesh them out, especially with friends. Yeah. Because um, I immediately messaged uh, both Josh and, and Caleb as soon as I had like the ability to um, to talk about the book. So. Yeah, I'd give it a four point five, just because I like to say five out of five books should be read by everyone. 
Oh yeah, that's, yeah. That's we've high. talked about this. Yeah. yeah, which might be like my weird rating system, but yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's great. Hard, Yeshua. Um, the husband and wife that did the translation are that do translations for all of Dostoevsky's work in English that are really good is Richard Peviar and Larissa Volokonsky. Hmm. Um, and what's the publisher on that one? Um, is it on the spine? Vintage classics. Vintage classics. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, but Josh, out of five. <coughs> I mean, I like the cover. Okay, I was going to ask the cover se- uh, <laughs> question. Next. Oh, out of five, um, three and a half. It doesn't grow on me the same way that his other books do. His other books, like Crime and Punishment and Brothers Karamazov, mm-hmm. um, they get better the further away you get from the book, having read it. Right. Because um, really? it requires long time of reflection and for moments like in the book to happen in your life for you to go, oh, See, I see that. The thing is, is what you're saying there, where it's like, yeah. I see that in me. I get that from that book, though. I see him in other people. I see him in me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I see Raskolnikov in me. But Really? Yeah. Mm. We'll have and, to, to come back to that when we talk yeah. about Crime and Punishment. Um, yeah. um, have you read The Idiot? Uh, that's the I next see him one in I'm me. reading. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, The Idiot I'm reading next, and then it's mm. Demons so, or The Possessed. Yeah, depending which yeah publisher and translation, um, but that's enough about books. Um, and then the cover is four. No, you're not allowed to answer that. I was so it, give it's it a translation two. though, so they can put whatever cover they want on it. I really like the ones that they do for their translations, mm-hmm. but I've seen some pretty terrible covers of Crime and Punishment. Oh, yeah, <laughs> they just look terrible. Yeah. Um, I, I want I want to get into it, Josh. I cannot fathom why you'd pick a four for that cover. Yeah, no, it's inconsistent. Two. People will look <laughs> it up. Two for me. People will look it up and then they'll. It's fine. Yeah, I like that one because it's minimalistic. That's yeah. all I like about it. It's black and white. I'm saying the design is minimalistic. The color is not so much what makes it minimalistic. It's colorblind, so he likes the. You know, <laughs> that's color. true. I forgot. Yeah. Dude, yeah. that's red and green. Well, no, I don't know what you're talking like about. A, and it looks like the map of an underground. I, I like, like from a video game, maybe. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I'm not wrong. I, just, not I, I think I, I think you just see things. Hey, Caleb. Yeah. What are we talking about today? Dude, we get to continue our series through Samuel. Awesome. Mm. We Yeah, I know. It is awesome. Um, this time, we're going to go through Samuel, for Samuel, uh, 12. So for those who are catching up, um, we've gone through um, the story of Sam, Samuel's parents and that family in comparison to... Um, Eli and his family, um, and how this is in our first few episodes covering through it, um, how disobedience and blessing and how God works in different families based on their obedience, um, goes through there. Then there's a little escapade where the ark goes on a journey, a little side quest. That one's mm. fun. I think that one's coming out. I can't wait for that to come soon. out. It comes out tomorrow, actually, oh. to date Ooh. this episode pretty badly. Episode. That's okay. <laughs> I don't think it really matters. Um, yeah, and then we go through the rise of Saul, and so we uh, that's been that's been also the rise of Saul. Um, yeah, and so far it's been pretty good for Saul. We talked actually, uh, Josh and I talked about um, how Saul's kind of passive throughout quite a lot of the beginning. Yeah. Where things just happen to him, yeah. and he's like, oh, "Okay, he's the barrel um, boy." However, just before this, they have the full 
that like he goes out, he gathers the people, they assemble into an army of one man. Um, and they fight Satan. Yeah, which which we covered in our last episode, which yeah. was which was awesome. They fight Satan. Yeah, the leader of the Ammonites is named Nachash, which is just the word serpent, straight up in Genesis three. Oh, and then he fights yeah. him in the dry, rocky place, a wilderness. Mm-hmm. And there's a promise of if you worship, if you surrender, you can follow me. Oh, so they're in Eden. Okay, I get it. <laughs> He's a it's also Jesus in the wilderness. But anyway, yeah, that no, episode's cool. You should, if you haven't listened to that, do that already. Now, um, so in, in chapter 11, there was a little bit of like the people coronating the king, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is the, Saul has saved us. Uh, God has saved us through Saul. And, and, and they, they articulate it properly. Um, mm-hmm. However, chapter 12 is more so through Samuel. Mm-hmm. God, let's say putting the, the final touches on this is kingship that you asked for mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple commentators <clears throat> articulated almost in a, in a legal case setting. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so heavy kingship themes, which is all throughout Sam. Of course. And, and chapter 12 also is like a, it's a lone chapter. Whereas <laughs> all the other chapters that we talked about have like pairings or comparisons, right? Like the families, the sons, Eli's sons and Samuel's. Um, and, and now we're getting like this lone chapter of just Samuel af- in between Saul's kingship. And it's this is like a jumping off point of how's he going to turn out? Because he's been good up to this point and he's being made king. And it's just like, is he going to go the right way or is he going to go the bad way? Because he's it's kind of displays two options. He, kings will be bad or kings will be good. Yeah. And it's which one is he going to be? Well, it's, it, it appears to be like a a proper checkpoint in the development of Israel's history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and people will make uh, literary comments on why the book is structured in such a way. Um, well, yeah, because it heavily relates to the pro-monarchy um, sect of Judaism that's rising up. Mm-hmm. In that. I guess you could say Judaism, but m- more like uh, the, the religious leaders and political leaders. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of people have um, things to say about how Samuel was structured, um, pro-monarchy versus anti-monarchy. Part of the reason why the Ark story kind of just like is shoved in there um, with nothing surrounding it that really explains why it's there Mm -hmm. um, is similar to why chapter 12 would be standing by itself. Because it's fairly anti-monarchy. Maybe not not Mm. anti-anti, like as in the monarchy. It's not monarchy in of itself is bad. Well, the argument would be yeah, that sure. yeah. a king, a lot of would say King Josiah, um, would place this in as a a retroactive justification for why there were kings in the first place, mm-hmm. um, trying to justify his family line. Um, but he and part put- of the reason why this would be partially anti-monarchy would be because he wouldn't he wasn't of Saul's line; he's of David's line. Right. Um, so he's fine to discredit Saul and actually justify David's rise. But, um, the, but the, the focus but seeing of, it is all political is, is also not the right hermeneutic. Yeah, because so, no. chapter twelve is predominantly focused more on mm-hmm. the the spiritual health of the nation as a whole. That's yeah. the main thing. It's not focused on Sam, on on Saul and his failure success. Because up to this point, it's, he's been passive, passive, mm-hmm. passive, and then successful. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's not that kingship is bad. It's that 
kingship on people's terms is bad. Yeah. That it's because God is going to bring a king. There's laws for it, but it's that they wanted a king before God gave them one and specifically reject God as he mentions multiple times. Yep. Yep. They haven't rejected you, Samuel. They've rejected me. Mm -hmm. And it is, as we'll see in this, it's framed as asking for a king is in and of itself an evil act. Yes. Um, At least in the context of how it happened with Samuel. Yeah. 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 So because we're doing like a verse by verse. Kind of. More like chunk of scripture by chunk of scripture. Previous chapters we've been doing, previous sections we've been doing chapter like sandboxes Mm -hmm. to talk in. But now we're doing verse like sections of verses. Do we just, do you just want me to read a bunch of verses one through five? Sure. If you want to do one through five. Yep. Okay. And Samuel said to all people. Behold, I have obeyed your voice in all that you have said to me and have made a king over you. And now behold, the king walks before you and I am an old, I am old and gray and behold, my sons are with you and I have walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed whose ox have I taken or whose donkey have I taken or whom have I defrauded whom have I oppressed or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it. Testify against me, and I will restore it to you, they said. We have not, you have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, the Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. And they said, he is witness. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of, you can kind of see the court kind of legal proceeding almost. Uh, kind of building up Samuel gathers everybody, but then he establishes his innocence, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting because this is going to get further back. But before we get uh, kind of right into there, if we're going to try to establish when this was in Samuel's time, because apparently a lot of older commentators and whatnot would say this is part of Sam, like this is Samuel's farewell speech that we see in like Joshua and in, mm-hmm. in Deuteronomy does and whatnot. Feel similar to it does feel surface. similar, but. In those previous farewell speeches, they die immediately after. Yeah. Samuel doesn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, his sons, uh, it, it mentions like, yeah, he's old. He's old. Um, also, a certain thing of note, his sons mentioned here, mm. um, they're brought up and they're brought up in a neutral term. Whereas previously in chapter eight, yes, eight, um, his sons are listed as a, uh, like, hey, they're, they're not doing good. They're bad. Give mm-hmm. us a king. And mm-hmm. so it's not. Yeah, that Samuel's sons are evil as well. Yeah, and so so it appe- yeah. so some people say that that's evidence of of two different sources being brought together. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah, I, it, it seems a bit presumptuous, and most, at least, the two commentators that I've read on this, which are Victor Hamilton and Ralph Klein, mm-hmm. um, they kind of go, eh, "It's a bit presumptuous to just say it's his farewell speech. It's a late life speech." Maybe mm-hmm. retirement speech as I am the the face of yes. of That's, the leadership team. Let's say, however, because it because conti- it ends with uh, with I'll continue to teach and pray, mm-hmm. but he's not the, the like the judge anymore. It does feel a bit like a passing of the torch, yeah, uh, kind yeah. of thing. But to say farewell speech might be a bit much. Well, that gets into a interesting. So there was another thing that happened within. Uh, ancient Near East kingship transitions, which was the new king would uh, 
put all the blame of the current situation on the previous administration. That's not an ancient Near East phenomenon. I know, <laughs> but it was, but it is, but it I happens now yeah. passively. Like our government does that. They always blame the last prime minister or the last president. Dude, it happens in my work. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was like an official thing that they like purposely did and then would go after them legally. Mm-hmm. And so this is one uh, Walton that I was mm-hmm. reading was saying that this is Samuel covering his bases. Because if the king turns out poorly, as he mentioned previously in the book, that this kings can go bad. Mm-hmm. Kings can go horrible. You don't want it to go horrible. And so he's covering his bases well, legally he- by getting the people, God, and the king to all admit in a group that he did nothing wrong. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's also, the, so there's two interesting things that, that like wordplay stuff, not wordplay in itself, but mm-hmm. indicated by the words that might be missed easily in English. Um, there's the whole thing of the taking of donkeys. Mm-hmm. Um, the verbiage is the same. Clearly that he's, he's saying like in chapter eight, when he's like, hey, you don't understand. The king is going to do this. He's going to take your livestock. He's going to take your donkeys. He's going to take this. He's going to do this. Um, so there's a little bit of like, hey, I didn't do any of that, did I? Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a thing with, uh, like, he hasn't taken a bribe. Mm-hmm. Um, his sons did. But his sons did, yeah. There's also, actually, in that little sidetrack, um, the comments on taking a bribe, um, not only is it, at least this is where Klein goes, um, not only the, the verbiage there is like not only when he takes a bribe or, is, or is someone offers a bribe and he, and he accepts it, um, would that pervert his eyes to see justice mm-hmm. in the moment? But that would corrupt his eyes to see justice in general. Which mm. it might be why Eli was blind. Mm-hmm. And then also what's interesting is Samuel knew where Saul's donkeys were. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of something there. It's just when just, they just disappeared. Funny. <laughs> when he ran after him yeah or his dad's donkeys yeah are you saying samuel kidnapped his donkeys no but i think he's telling everybody that may have heard about the story that he yeah. didn't steal saul's dad's donkeys <laughs> <laughs> that is interesting he's like hey they're gonna come for your livestock and what does he come looking for he comes looking for his livestock <laughs> right it's uh yeah so, so that's one thing there's also um when samuel goes i have you know i've walked with you Mm-hmm. Who can like bring a charge against me? Essentially, mm-hmm. essentially, and then when he brings up the king, the king walks among us. But he uses two different words. Mm-hmm. Um, one, and some commentators argue which way, but I think I think a, the most intuitive way to see that is one is to say I've walked like you've seen. Yeah, I have walked in this idea of like um, I've been tested. I've been you've seen my integrity, right? And then the other one is like, he's before us walking right now, untested. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of the, the, the comparison thing. Um, that was the answer that I found most compelling. Mm-hmm. Could, you, could you explain that a little more thoroughly? Um, I don't fully understand I can try. what you mean. Um, it's, it's from Klein. Mm-hmm. Um, is it? Yeah, Klein. Mm-hmm. I don't want to mispronounce his oh, last name. That's the word biblical commentary, isn't word it? Word biblical Klee, commentary, yes. yeah. They're super in-depth, I find. Yeah. I, I like them. They're good. Yeah. Um, the idea would be that um, there's two Hebrew words used. One for when um, Samuel has walked, like walked with them, mm-hmm. past tense. Yeah. Um, and then Saul 
is currently walking among them, mm. right? And one is this, uh, you like, you've seen that mm-hmm. I have been tried and tested yeah. and found as though my integrity uh, has, has yeah, been shown. Right. Yeah. And the other, perhaps simply by contrasting, yeah. the thing lacking in the word used for Saul yeah. is just, but you haven't seen him walk and past tense tested. Yeah. I've walked among you. He is only walking among you. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I've been here the whole time. He's just passing through. Okay. I yeah. think I understand. Well, and and the argument is only from contrast. It's not that there's something explicitly being said there. Yeah. No, it's no. not. Mm-hmm. It's not the Hebrew in of itself. Mm-hmm. No. Um, yeah. Because the, it's, the it's root not word the, for both is halach. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it's not the, the Hebrew itself. The don't mean those. It's just the, but, um, the comparison. The yeah. The, 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 the intentional phrasing kind of indi- might indicate that. Yeah. Um, there's other theories that some commentators have, have used, but I, I liked I liked Klein's. It was it was the most intuitive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now look, this king walks before you. I have walked before you. I have walked before you from the time of my youth until the present day. Mm. The <clears throat> yeah. yeah yeah fair enough. Yeah. So. Actually, I uh, we've brought up other other times. I don't know if we've ever brought it up in the podcast, but I know we've brought it up when we're just talking to one another. Um, you know how Joseph and Daniel are the only ones that are like, ah, but they never had like a character failing moment. Mm-hmm. Not like explicitly. Yep. Mm-hmm. Does Samuel ever have a character like failing moment where he, he falters a little bit or? I don't. Because most, most characters in the Bible... Mm-hmm. Have some sort of their test and they're found lacking. Mm-hmm. Um, What's his sons? I was going to say this. It's thing. just his sons. He's it, a bad it, father. Would you would you think that the comparison with that to Eli and how that's one of Eli's great sins would be not necessarily uh, the same thing of like oh Eli was pretty bad by the time he died um, because of his son, uh, because of how he acted towards his sons. This one is showing that kind of similar kind of path. As, Showing that he wasn't a great father? I don't I don't think so. I don't think so. I think it's presumptuous. Mm-hmm. Well, and there's also the, he has an, a knowledge of his sons being evil in a sense, or they're yeah. being. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is the, in making a king, he's kind of acknowledging that his sons are bad and doing something about it. Yeah. Yeah. He's Unlike obeying Eli. God. Yeah. The, the Lord, the spirit speaks through him still. Mm. It didn't speak through Eli. Um, as mentioned, that the spirit hadn't spoken in a while. The word had not come. Yep. Um, and Samuel, in his description, is old and gray, not fat and blind. Mm. Associated um, with wisdom rather than gluttony. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I maybe maybe the sons thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I, don't, I can't think of one. The, the sons thing is definitely leading to the fact that he, like, he put more work in he put less work into his family than he should have. I see, m- maybe, but I don't know if that's reading into it. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's not quite uh, perfect judges. You know, him being a judge doesn't make him perfect, is what I'm saying. Exactly. Right? Like, mm-hmm. so many of them screwed up their families entirely. Yeah. Um, and I just don't know if there's a, a theological or a. Uh, an yeah. in-depth reading to his sons being disobedient. Aside from that's what the sons of good men do. True. Um, 
is is take what has been built up for granted. And yeah, you'll see yeah. that immediately with David and Absalom. But still, oh yeah, um, all the yeah. it it is a super rare thing in history to find a great man with great sons. Yeah, I, I well, only, even even Cyrus the Great. It's a whole mm-hmm. thing. I only bring that up because it's because it it isn't it's it's a funny mm-hmm. thing when mm-hmm. there's a character in the Bible that's presented as faithful throughout the entire uh, time that they're spoken of in the text. Or at least one that doesn't like struggle with and like the whole, yeah. Have some sort of faltering moment where God's like, okay, come on, okay, come on, yeah. Well, and there might be. Yep, that's it. Uh-huh. Yeah. There might, it might, <laughs> there might be, maybe. Despite us calling the book Samuel, it might be because the focus of this text just isn't really that much about Samuel. Samuel being somewhat perfect at least as it shows here actually aids to how he is the messenger from god so when daniel or not daniel geez uh david is crowned it does seem more legitimate than if he was sinful do you think that would be part of it i mean kind of but i mean it's not like that's that sinful it's not like sinful people or people that have sin are shied away from in the Bible. It's everywhere. Right. Right. So I, I think if it's uh, how many other prophets have the moment where it's just like, oh, like what's, what's, oh, why can't I think of his name? Like, oh, no. What did he do? The prophet that like goes and lies on his, uh, that goes into the desert and cries and God's like, hey, Elijah. man, I got it. Yeah, it's Elijah. Yeah, it's Elijah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but then <laughs> takes a nap, eats some bread. Yeah. And he's just like, yeah. dude, sleep, eat. Like, have a come on. feel better. It's fine. Have a nappy, have a snacky. <laughs> Calm down. Can you down. imagine being so sad there has to be divine intervention? <laughs> <laughs> but but that's but that's what I mean, right? Like there's some sort of weird faltering moment. <laughs> it's just like, oh, well, come on, man. Actually, now that I say that, I feel like it's a little more relatable than I, I was originally say, thought. Yeah. It's like, no. Well, I think yeah. God there was a funny meme, but it's a <laughs> never on un- the story of Elijah shows you never underestimate the spiritual power of a snack of a snack snack and a nap. Yeah. Um, But anyway, so that's a, that's a sidebar. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Um, mm. Samuel's a good guy. Now here's the other thing. The, we mentioned if this is his farewell speech, why isn't he dead? Right. Why doesn't he die Um, soon after this? And it's because I think in the, the prophecy of Samuel in chapter one, that he would attend God's anointed. Mm. David's not here yet. Sure, but why? Why thematically have this here? This comp- at least seeming comparison yeah, to I, the farewell. Because the fact that he doesn't die in the next chapter or immediately after tells you something about that's going to happen. It Wait. because of the pattern that's been presented. Farewell speech. Die. Farewell speech. Die. Farewell speech. Die. Farewell speech doesn't die. What? Maybe it makes but, you pay attention. Mm-hmm. And I'm then just, I'm just not sure if it's a farewell speech. <laughs> No, 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 you're right. But what I mean is that it's, it, the, the fact that he's, I mean, it's even describing that he's getting old and gray and he's retiring of a sort. He's transitioning. He retires of one of his positions. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like judge over Israel is the position he's retiring. Yeah. But, but at the end he's, no, I will still pray Mm -hmm. and teach. I will pray for you and teach and teach you. Which makes him a, a, uh, prophet in the council rather than, um, yeah. Sorry, my voice is going, <laughs> but uh, rather than just a just a judge, he is now. Which um, means he he expects he to continue to minister somehow. <laughs> Should we read verses six to eleven? Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. Yeah, we spend do you want a lot to do of time on five yeah, verses? Shoot. <laughs> and Samuel said to the people, "The Lord is witness, who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. 
Now therefore stand still that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous deeds of the Lord that he performed for you and for your fathers. When Jacob went into Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, then your fathers cried out to the Lord and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in the land. But they forgot the Lord your God and he sold them into the hands of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor and into the land of the Philistines and into the hand of the king of Moab and they fought against them. And they cried out to the Lord and said, we have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the balls and the Astras. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies that we may serve you. And the Lord sent Jerubbabel and Barak and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side. And you lived in safety. I find it funny that it puts his name in there, but yeah. Mm -hmm. In the third person. Yeah. Yeah. Not just me. He said, he said, Samuel, me. <laughs> Is this uh, the first time we talk about the ball and Asherah being worshipped in Israel? No. Or it's it, it's in earlier. Judges, it's mentioned in Judges. Okay, I thought so. Judges and in uh, the command of Saul is to fight off the Philistines and remove the, basically the command of the king is yeah. to remove the foreign gods mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And they mention Ball That's and cool. Asherah. But it, it goes through the, the judges cycle that we mm -hmm. that we talked about a little bit before. Uh, they forget God or mm -hmm. whatnot. They sin yeah. against. They forget to keep the commandments of God. And then they get oppressed. Yeah. They recognize their sin. They call out. God sends mm -hmm. a deliverer. He delivers well, it. Them. goes all the way back to Jacob. Yeah. Yep. The beginning of Israel. Uh, you pointed out something. <laughs> yeah. But. So it, it wasn't me. It was Walton again who said it's, he said that this total period covers between 800 to 850 years. Yeah. That Samuel Jeez. summarizes into five verses, right? To talk about their sin, about how horrible they mm -hmm. are. And he, and he mentioned that that's like today, if somebody gave a speech about how horrible Christianity was and spanned the history from the Crusades till now with a hundred words or less and said, look yeah. how horrible Christianity is. Like it's, it's technically a bad faith, like description of the whole of a nation. Not when it comes to the, but Israel. not when it comes to the, <laughs> well, I think a little bit too. He does just yeah. go through judges mm -hmm. and he's not highlighting like, Hey, you're always evil. He's highlighting that there is a pattern that you, we keep committing. Monkey sees pattern. Yeah, which is we get into a situation where life sucks and we're being oppressed and we cry out to God. And then when he frees us, we treat him horribly. Mm -hmm. And we don't deserve this. We don't deserve this salvation. We don't deserve this freedom that is brought by our God. But yet he chooses to do this every single time. And it just keeps adding to how horrible we are. <laughs> Because we keep doing it and all the good things he's done keep stacking up and the weight of our sin just keeps stacking up against it. I mean, if you were doing a biblical theology on God's hesed, his loving kindness, his, yeah. his mm -hmm. uh, willingness to, to uphold the covenant even when they don't, mm -hmm. this would be a your, your text from Samuel. This yeah. would be a big, big text in Samuel. Yeah. Well, my, my favorite part of this text is, yeah, these, you've done all this horrible but the, this is actually an account of all the good that God has done to you. Yeah. In mm -hmm. contrast, directly yeah. contrasting the both. That's what it opens with. And yeah. Uh, yeah, 
like like we said, it's very telling of the <laughs> state of the nature of their yeah. relationship. Yeah, and it's it's their it's their defining relationship with God. Mm-hmm. They sin like we like we joked about. It might not be on the recording, but we joked about it at the beginning uh, here about how the only thing I contribute to my yeah. salvation is my sin. Yeah, it's disappointment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's. It's, it's true. Like we like to get away from like us, but like, yes, we do do the same thing Israel does. Mm -hmm. We do just keep Mm. sinning and God keeps forgiving and rescuing. Mm -hmm. But it also seems that, uh, this push and pull, this forgetting and remembering and my computer just died. So we're going to have to go off the cuff here and not do the notes. (laughs) Um, but this, uh, this push and pull. Um, is actually setting up these standards by which the kings will be deemed righteous and unrighteous kings. Mm-hmm. Um, that there's a strong, like, hey, here's the terms and conditions. Um, they've been set out from before judges, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, um, now they don't do what's right in their own eyes. They do what's right in the eyes of the king. And whether that be extinguishing the Baals and the Asherahs, um, or that's returning to right worship, um, I don't know if the king's the king's got the rudder to the ship in this part of the uh, the mm-hmm. episode. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a there's a book that I own that I wanted to specifically look mm-hmm. for this passage, um, and, and read its section on it. Mm-hmm. Um, the Old Testament's use of the Old Testament, yeah, uh, which seems a little redundant. However, uh, this has a bunch of phraseology, obviously borrowed from Deuteronomy. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. And it would be a perfect book to, and then I went up to go study this and forgot it. And then I forgot to grab it again. And then I forgot to grab it even today. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) thank you for telling us. So you have nothing to say. Just so you know, (laughs) there is tons. If you look at a, pick up a commentary, you'll see a bunch of like, Hey, see Deuteronomy this. Hey, see Deuteronomy that. Hey, see Deuteronomy this. It's a fascinating book. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's so heavily influenced by what, Joel was pointing out there is like, hey, it's all these terms and conditions about kingship and how it relates to the people and all that kind of stuff. That's been set out in Deuteronomy. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. even the text in its, you know, references and and uh, whether that's explicit yeah. or implicit, um, it knows what it's doing. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you'll see that again in Josiah's reign, which is a pivotal moment as far as like kingship goes, um, where he refers to the second law. And that's, again, tying it all back together. It's like, these were the rules. We always knew it. Yep. Um return to right worship. So the, there's an interesting, the, this will get, this will be seen later, but there's a, there's a, Israel is rejecting God. That's been God's statement. And so by Samuel giving this summary, he's also telling Israel, you're doing it again. Mm. Mm. This act of crowning the King right now, is you rejecting God? It's well, part of this pattern, and yeah. that's that. That gets into immediately. That's his whole yeah. point in the next section. Oh yeah, we'll, yeah, yeah. We'll get into the next section. It is a mix of that and what Joel said about how it's yes, you have sinned, and I'm going to show you how this mm-hmm. is also a sin. Mm-hmm. But also going forward, it's in your hands. Good luck, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah, but if if it's also about God's uh, rescuing of His mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. There's something else beyond, like we mentioned. It's not just that Israel keeps rejecting God, right? It's it's the king is also God to the people. 
like as his representative. Yeah. Right. Because to this point, God has been king. Mm-hmm. God has been the one that fights the with the army to protect Israel. God is the one that's been the the one that the people look to for order and stability yeah. unfaithfully. Um, and so now that's on the king. And we'll get into like divine kingship in a bit. But like, so not only is the the part of the speech where it's, this is God reject, this is them rejecting God. Mm-hmm. The king is also God rescuing his people. Mm-hmm. It's both things put together. Well, and I think, I think you see that somewhat put somewhat put in a literary way because you have in chapter seven you have um samuel under samuel's leadership the and him interceding for for Mm -hmm. them um the israelites are saved from i think they're i think it's the philistines in that time Mm -hmm. yeah um and then it happens with saul in chapter 11 with the ammonites um and so I think I think you're, it's presented in both ways, mm-hmm. but one is clearly and in how God talks to Saul versus how he talks to the people. To the people, he says, "By demanding a king, you're rejecting me," mm-hmm. right? But then when he talks to Saul, he says, "Hey, to be king, you now have to get the army together. You have to fight off the Philistines and their enemies. You have to get rid of the gods, and you have to get the people to worship me." Right. So he's like, it's, he's playing both sides mm-hmm. of the, the thing. He's, this is rejection and this is bad. Hey, Saul, you gotta, you're now me to these people. Yep. So you gotta behave like me. You gotta do the things that I've done. Mm-hmm. When they cry out, you gotta rescue them. Well, Samuel's in the next segment is yeah. very explicit over how, yeah. and, and you see that the relationship theolo- works. Yeah. You see that theology heavily, uh, in, um, on display through through several psalms, yeah, um, mm. the kind of adopt uh, kingship adoption type psalms that that yeah. people people will argue about, but even mm-hmm. the relationship of the Holy Spirit to the individual as a means of kingship mm-hmm. um, through David's psalms, you see a lot of that, but not so much with Saul. I can't think of any psalms that have Saul as the no, no. the stand-in. But it's it's the it's the position that that, mm-hmm. that's, that idea is. Well, it's just that kingship is heavily associated with the anointing or the Holy Spirit resting upon them. Yeah, but also um, also being the intermediary between God and his people mm-hmm. and the people and God. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, Should I read verses 12 to 15? Man, you just want to read them all? Yeah. Got to catch them all? Yeah, exactly. Um, and when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, come against you, you said to me, no, but a king shall reign over us. And when the Lord your God was your king, when the Lord your God was your king, and now behold, the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked, behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandments of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. Hmm. Yep. It's like there's there's a clear acknowledgement of, hey, what you're doing is bad, mm-hmm. but I'm going to make it work. Yep. Mm-hmm. We can make this work. Mm-hmm. You won't, but we can make this work. It's almost like in Deuteronomy 
when it he, is very reminiscent of Deuteronomy. when Moses is like, Hey, you're going to fall away. Mm-hmm. You're going to worship other gods. They're just explicitly like, you're going to do bad mm-hmm. and God's going to throw you into exile and blah, 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 blah. But don't worry. Well, it is also very reminiscent of Deuteronomy in the way of, if you follow me, follow mm-hmm. the king, worship me, worship the king, worship the king. Well, don't do that one. No. But the king as the representative, you and the king do this. Yeah. Uh, then you'll be good. If you don't, the hand will, of the Lord will be against you, which is the same sort of wording that you see in, like I said, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. I do find it interesting. Very covenantal. That, yeah. By their demand. They do introduce that there's this like, yeah, but what happens if the people are good and the king are bad? Well, too bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think the modern moral of First Samuel, even as a whole, but specifically in this passage, is that God, God executes his will. It, God executes his perfect will through imperfect means. Right. He allows uh, his will to be done by those who do not really have the capacity to carry it out. Um, and it's only by his divine orchestra um, that he's able to make all things harmonize and work mm. together. And he proves that in the last episode we did on Saul's rise, when we talked about, we joked at the beginning of this episode about how Saul's just kind of there mm-hmm. and all this stuff, Just he's just kind of like on rails and God yeah. just does everything. And that's the way it should be. Yeah. Is like you're saying is... The it is Saul doesn't do all the things that make him king. When he fights Nehash, the spirit rushes upon him and he gets angry and yep. fights for the people. Yep. Right? Saul just he's just looking for his dad's donkeys and suddenly arrives next to Samuel and Samuel's like, Hey, you're the king, pours oil on his head and kisses, kisses him, him on the forehead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, go home. Yeah, go home. Hey, you're gonna meet this guy, this guy, and this guy. Do what I say, you'll be crowned king. He does them doesn't say a single word Mm. Um, and he just kind of goes and God does all these things around him in the exact same way that the ark just goes around and defeats the Philistines. And David follows a similar sort of pattern of being unremarkable. Yeah. David? David starts off as unremarkable and kind of- But he starts off as remarkable. He's killed lions and wolves and bears. I think lions and bears is what I think it actually Mm -hmm. says. Yeah, but he he wasn't chosen to be king because of- his actions or, or even his looks. Um, although he does end up being fairly good looking and fairly strong. It's not why he's chosen to be King. I know what you're saying. Like, like right. It's the, the people chose Saul because they saw him as what a King looked like. Yeah. They didn't see David as that. Like Samuel himself does when he goes through the brothers and he's yeah, well, like, D- David's not even an option. Yeah. Uh, like at first, yeah, it's not. It's only God and Samuel who make David the option to become king. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, like Samuel's even like, is there another? Like, yeah, he for sure thought it was going to be the the oldest brother. Yep. Yeah. Um, but in that way, yes. But then when God reveals who David is to Samuel, you see that he's yes. he's a man of character. He's a shepherd. He's he he has what God knows it takes to be a king. Right. And so in in that way, like. In the people's eyes, he's seen as unremarkable. Yeah, yes. But in God's eyes, he's and, a sh- yeah, the yeah. shepherd and being not even present yeah. was the unremarkable part. Of it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and Christ calling back the imagery of the good shepherd as well is is yeah. no small Davidic lineage thing. Right? Yeah, like the archetypical. 
like when Isaiah goes into, he's not a man mm. to yeah. look at, but then, oh, but Jesus is actually the greatest human being to ever exist. Mm-hmm. Like that, I, that, I, that, that mix of like, what, it, what do we mean by like, he's not remarkable and he's actually remarkable in the people's eyes. Yeah. He's unremarkable, but in reality he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, obviously that that's connected in the Psalms. That's the, the, the string that ties them all together. But why are we talking about David? Um, we were making a comparison of how oh, passive um, Saul is um, in God bringing about his purposes through mm. people's sin. Mm-hmm. Um, or should, should we say in spite of people's sin might be a better way to say yes. it. Yeah. Um, in the midst m- of. Might be, might be a better way. I actually don't know. Yeah. That's, <laughs> a, that's, that's something sin. that I personally am weirded out about. But well, anyway. Well, it goes back into that that idea that we've talked about and copious amounts of times which is that it's god it's god that rescues israel mm-hmm. it's not the king mm-hmm. like it's god that rescued israel not the ark yeah it's it's god that led israel to this place it wasn't moses well it's it's even it's it's god that rescues the ark not the people yeah they don't go in and rescue it they've yeah. lost it yeah the the whole thing is just people like saul just standing around and God doing everything. And then the people going, why aren't you doing anything? And he's like, I'm doing everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just recognize, <laughs> recognize your covenant. Yeah. yeah. Worship me. Don't. Yeah. And he's, he's happy to do it. He promised he would. But he's also a just God. Yeah. And there are consequences. Exactly. Um, He's yeah. faithful. We are unfaithful. I feel like we're just doing Old Testament theology right now. Yeah. It feels like we're getting wider and wider as I, we... I think Samuel 12 just does that to people when they yeah. read it. You it's very archetypical. We were, you remember when we were talking about it last episode, right? Or last, our last yeah. series, in, or last episode in this series, at least. And it was just like, hey, can we just do chapter 12 by itself? And you're like, I don't know. And it's like, it's so good though by itself. So much, yeah. <laughs> well, no, it's because like I wasn't like, I was was wondering if there was something else going on with like chapter 13 and 14, if it would relate. Fair and enough. it doesn't at all. So <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so yeah, that's, they. this is like the branch off point that I mentioned at the beginning of the episode of, this is where it's going to go for Saul. Is it going to be good? Is it going to be bad? Is he going to be the good king? Is he going to continue with obeying or is he going to go bad? Um, and, mm-hmm. but the next section, different, sorry, is 16 to 25. Have we started doing previews on the podcast as I've begun or what? No, I, th- I think it was just because like we're reading such like a short section mm-hmm. and like it gets for like the audience. It helps yeah. them understand what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Otherwise we're just talking about it at like, yeah, you know? Last oh, episode, absolutely. we were just super excited about like, oh, this this ties into this, and then yeah. this goes into this, <laughs> and you can see how these things relate, and oh, look at the next chapter. It's going to talk about this. Yeah. Yeah, well, when you talk about a larger section, you can't read the entire chapter. Exactly. Um, shall I read the remainder? You've absolutely. done this far. Okay. Might as well. It'd be super weird not to. Yeah. Thank you, Joel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, therefore, stand still and see the, this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord and he may send thunder and rain and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in making you for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, 
Pray for your servants to the Lord, your God, that you may not die, that we may not die. For we have added to all your sins, our sins, this evil to ask for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And do not turn aside from em after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake this, his people for his great name's sake, because it, was it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. I will instruct you in the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully and with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. So many themes reiterated, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. The covenant kind of, kind of contract thing going on, right? Um, one of the super cool things, I at least I think, um, do you guys know the Baal cycle stuff? Just because Baal was mentioned earlier. Of in the course chapter. I know the Baal cycle <laughs> stuff. Um, but does the audience know the Baal cycle stuff? Probably not. It's not that important. <laughs> what are you talking <laughs> about? It actually is here. Yeah. A little bit, right? <laughs> and so is the Marduk Tiamat cycle. Uh -huh. Anyways. Um, so part of the Baal cycle, whatever, it's, it's part of their mythology. Their mythology is reflected, I shouldn't say there, the, those who worshipped the... Um, Pantheon Baal. of Baal yeah. and, and El and all that. El's like Ugaritic deity. Yeah. And, and and multiple cultures blurred together in there. Mm -hmm. Um but Baal is one of the is one of the storm gods or the storm god. Um and his death and resurrection, quote unquote, if you want to go that way. Some yeah, whatever, we won't get into that. Um his myth in the in their like uh their mythology and their pantheon is heavily tied to the rain cycle. Right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it's the dry season, but all is dead. Mm -hmm. That's part of, that's part of the whole idea is when there's no rain, but all is dead. And the idea is that uh, God makes it rain when Baal is dead is just yeah. awesome. To but it, it's also, there's a, there's another fun thing happening, continuing with that idea. Mm -hmm. So in the ball cycle, it's he's fighting the sea God, mm -hmm. the saltwater God, Yum. Mm -hmm. um, and it's uh, a marker of being the head of the pantheon is taming the sea. Mm -hmm. And so Baal defeats Yom and blah, 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 is seen as the greatest of the gods mm. as a result. But it's this constant refighting. In the Babylonian story, the Enuma Elish, Marduk does the same thing in defeating Tiamat, the, the great sea, and defeats it. And the great sea in both these stories is representative of chaos. Mm-hmm. Israel is in chaos by rejecting their God. And in this act of reigning during the dry season and causing them all to have fear of him, he is taming their chaos, their sin, their evil. Um, if, yeah. you, if you really wanted to start stretching things and just being like, mm -hmm. pr well, pr definitely inferring things onto the text which you shouldn't do, but if you wanted to, then you could go like the whole, he's taming their chaos by using rain, which is water in of itself, which is mm -hmm. part of chaos. Thus he's bringing about the solution to their, in this, in, a, in an analogous way, he's bringing about the solution to their leadership problem by, and, and their sin by still using mm -hmm. the thing that they want, which is a King, which is part of their sin. Yeah. Which it's, 
I, I think that's inferring upon the text. It's just, yeah. It's yeah. poetic, but it's not poetry. Yeah, it's, <laughs> right? It's, it's, one of those it's not there, but it would be cool this if This is was. kind of the book that doesn't have poetry unless you count Hannah's song or Hannah's prayer. Mm. Um, I don't know. It's all over the place when you well, least expect it. Um, there is an interesting thing that I wanted to point out is in verse 19, they say to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord, your God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not our God. They, so this is like a little bit of theocracy just thrown in there. It's it's rejection. Yeah. They acknowledge it's a, that it's, it's an acknowledgement of the rejection. Mm. He's not our God. Yeah. Cause you'll see that's that super sad. You'll see the f- verbiage shift with Saul later. Yeah. Cause at, at some points earlier on, he'll say our or my, or normally mm-hmm. our, um, but then sometimes there'll be a shift and it'll be normally it's associated with, um, disobedience. Yeah. Mm. Your God, the Lord, your God. Yeah. yeah. And it's or just general apostasy, yeah. right? Like the, you'll hear it from the wives of, of Saul or Solomon, I think, um, Pray yeah. to your God. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. Yeah. But it's 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 a it's a it's a physical acknowledgement of what Samuel just said. Yeah. You're rejecting the king, your God, um, to choose to have a king of your own choosing. Um, and now the people are acknowledging that yeah, he's not our king. He's not our God. Is is first Samuel twelve just half of Old Testament theology. <laughs> it's definitely a summary of it. So, so he does the rain thing. He basically calls out Israel for doing this, for rejecting him, but also because, okay. So for the audience, part of the reason why this is bad is because if it's harvest time and it rains and when it rains in the, the middle East, it rains hard. Um, it can damage the harvest. Yeah. And so, it's bad for the winter if all the food gets destroyed. Oh, it's bad for the people in the winter. Yeah. <laughs> you know, starvation. It's also a confirmation of the curses in Deuteronomy that the crops would fail, mm-hmm. that God wouldn't let the crops succeed because they're disobedience. Um, and so the moment they crown the king, God's like, next level. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. because it's the the whole of the the curses of Deuteronomy are like, and if you continue to sin, this will happen, and if you continue to sin, this will happen, and by them crowning the king, God's like, you went up a level, more yeah. curse. Um, but there's hope. Kill. What's the hope? The hope is that they're like, ah, Samuel, pray for us. This is not good. And he's like, hey, God's not going to destroy. You. It's okay. Mm-hmm. It's not going to kill you for this. Might damage the crops, but it's not going to kill you for this. And so mm-hmm. there's mercy even in that, um, which is awesome. Yeah. And yep. it is a bit of a sh- just a show of power mm-hmm. that God is God and I am His representative. Yeah, but it's it's it. it I, I don't know. The more and more I'm thinking about it, the more and more I'm just seeing. Oh, this is like so much of this is just Old Testament theology mm-hmm. encapsulated along with so much. Um, like biblical theology of God's loving kindness and commitment to the covenant that he made with Abraham, regardless of, of them actually upholding the covenant that they made with Moses. There's also another connection to Cain here with Saul because Saul, so there's a Cain has that whole conversation with 
God, about where God comes to him and he says, hey, yes, you sinned, but sin is crouching at your door. Don't continue down that path. Yeah. Don't keep on sinning. This is a moment for you to turn around, repent, yeah. so to speak, the 180. Uh, you don't have to continue being what, doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You can worship properly. Your sacrifice can be accepted. Mm-hmm. And God is doing that now through Samuel to the people. He's saying, hey, don't, yes, you've rejected God as king and we're, we're there now. Rain. Yeah, we can't do anything about that. Because <laughs> uh, the judgment, so to speak, has already come upon you. But we don't have to continue in disobedience. Don't turn aside. Mm-hmm. Worship him with all your heart. That the, the golden rule. Worship the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your uh, soul, mind, and strength. Um, from Deuteronomy. I don't think that's a golden rule, though. It's one of the two. Isn't sorry. That, that's not what people The two greatest commands. Okay. Sorry. 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 <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, I, I, now I feel bad. No, no, it's fine. It's a good call out. I don't want to say something wrong. Um, so Saul, the, the people are being told the same thing that Cain got told. Don't continue. Yeah. Yeah. This do make the sacrifice again, make sure. it worth do it with all your heart. Well, and it also on, with that context, mm-hmm. the confirmation from Samuel, where it's just, "Hey, no, God's gonna have mercy. He's not gonna wipe you out right now." Yeah, it shows. It's this like, okay, so there's this judgment from your sin, mm-hmm. but you're not gonna be wiped out. Hey, don't go and sin now. Yeah, right. Don't continue to to on in the sin. It shows mm-hmm. for the people of that time God's eagerness to make it work. It's also like a, it's a, like in our own lives, I'm sure like whether our, like with our parents or like we acknowledge this and when we're, when we're, when we are sinning, there's, there's moments where you can see where it leads. Mm-hmm. You know where it's going to go. If you take, if you continue walking down that path and there's kind of like that acknowledgement in your head of now's a chance for me to turn around. Mm-hmm. Now's a chance for me to not keep doing mm-hmm. that. And then sometimes we continue. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes, sometimes we, the brain kicks in the better part of us and we go, I got to turn, I got to stop. And yeah. But, and, uh, they totally do, uh, stop sinning and everything goes well. And Saul's a great King and you will see none of that in the next episode. Yeah. Yep. End of the story. They never <laughs> so- do anything wrong again. <laughs> I, I didn't talk about it too much yet because I think it matters more for the full culmination of the chapter. Do you see this as more of a uh, covenantal shift for how God treats Israel? Sure, that happens more so with David, but in how it lays out this new, the, not new rules, but the same rules kind of reiterated with the king included in it. How it talks about um, the past, how it talks about uh, God's deeds over them, this sort of legalist, legal kind of way. Um, do you see it as a form of covenantal shifting? It depends on your view of Deuteronomy. Uh, what does that mean? Oh, I was just going to say the Davidic covenant starts with David. As that was going to be my yeah. main takeaway. Um, I also love how we're using covenantal shift in the same way as like continental drift. <laughs> no, but <laughs> like, but, but you're right there, there, Colton, there, there is, a, there appears to be a shift in some regard to how God interacts with his people, Israel, mm. in a small way, at least you can say in a big way with David, per, perhaps, and, and mm-hmm. um, 
depends on to to a certain degree how much of Deuteronomy was written at that point. Just all of it? Are we going to say all of it? That's fine. I'm I'm game. I I'm think down. the safe answer is to say yes, all of it. Sure. But yeah, I mean, you can disagree, but either way, it doesn't change. No, a much. lot. A lot of people disagree. Yeah. And so, people, if if Deuteronomy had been written fully in that beforehand, then it's not a it's not a covenantal shift because it's all laid out on how kingship is going to interact in mm-hmm. the covenantal relationship with in Moses' covenant. Right. Like, I, I like, mean, so this, so that's not a shift. It's just a that's the next stage in the development that they already know. Sure, but uh, the covenantal shift comes more so in the. Uh, how Israel is supposed to function in relationship to God for them to be considered righteous it is no longer the people; it is the people and the king. Sure, it's, yeah, it's explicitly. Yeah, yeah, we mentioned that. Uh, <laughs> um, David's covenant becomes more so about lineage and dynasty, more so than about how God treats uh, the kings as representatives of Israel. Although that is part of it. Yeah. Um, this, as far as I'm aware, is the first time, besides that part of those parts of Deuteronomy and the law that talk about how the king is part of the representative before God as God's anointed. Like God's anointed mm-hmm. besides like a prophet or a judge or even the people themselves and how they act towards them, how how the king acts is more what God sees than just the people themselves. Yes. Yes, but that would be the covenantal shift. It's not just about the people. It's the people and the king. Yes. Right. But I it's mean, not significant. it's not like it. That's why I say shift and not like a change in the covenant. Sure. The covenant doesn't change. It just adds a new modifier to it. Sure. Which was I, I already suppose, yeah. predicted, but now yeah. is put into stone. This is what it is. Yeah. But I think you've always seen the actions of God's anointed being directly, directly affecting God's people. Right, even even Moses' disobedience at at the I, this is the first thing that comes to mind mm. for me. Um, Moses' disobedience striking the stone, sure. right, um, did have a a causative effect on how the nation of Israel was treated as a whole mm-hmm. because of the disobedience of their leaders. And I think it, it you can really just draw it right back to uh, Adam's headship, right? Well, that the sin of one man can doom the nation. Well, well sure, and I, and I think you have with the with the judges, the failed judges, let's say, mm-hmm. the judges which had success in the beginning and then fell away, right? Or had success, fell away, then came back. Just like most of them. Yeah. yeah. Um, that had a causal effect um, mm-hmm. in uh, in the general populace, let's say, of Israel mm-hmm. at the time. However, the shift that Colton might be, that you might be uh, referencing mm-hmm. is that pattern may have existed before, but it's never existed with an office quite like yeah. kingship. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's not the representatives who do sin. It's that the wording here is very explicitly the representative is now more of a representative of Israel than a representative of God. Um, I don't know about more of. Because Moses was less a representative of the people towards God as he was a representative of God towards the people. Well, and that might be emphasized with prophet stuff, right? Sure. Um, Because that would be the role of the prophet to speak the words of God. Um However, because I think that the, that's like this chunk of text is far more focused on the king in relation to the people and the people's desire for a king, I think the emphasis of the text as the king as a representative of the people matches the context, uh, matches the con- the content of the of the passage. I don't know if it negates 
the other part of kingship, which is mentioned elsewhere, more specific, more particularly in Psalms by David, of the king being the representative of some of some way of some intermediary way yep. um, of God to the people. I don't think that that's negated. I just don't think that that's what's that's what's being commented on in First Samuel twelve. Hmm. I, I you know I'm actually sliding over to Colton's side. I think a little bit um, that there is as this like new office comes into play um, that it's a formalization of the already existing relationship. But because it is the nation of Israel specifically going after a king, that they are declaring headship not from the top down but from the bottom up. Right? It's now the responsibility of the nation because they have elected. <laughs> Um, this, uh, Maybe I'm not denying that there's a shift. Like I mean, we spoke of it. Like no, I, we, I just the continental shift, continental shift, <laughs> covenantal shift that he's talking about. I think is is more obvious than I thought it was at the beginning. Okay, like like I I, I think right. there is That's some sort I of shift. Yeah, bring up. Okay. yeah. We we mentioned it with like the whole how it's like what's explicitly not mm-hmm. listed was what happens if the king is bad but the people are good. Yeah, it doesn't actually make right. mention that. Mm-hmm. So. The reason I bring it up is if chapter 12 is somewhat not isolated because it's not isolated from the two chapters that surround it, but it is very much this, it's sort of standalone in what it talks about, that it is this kind of like treatise, this is now how God's relationship with you is. And it's being explicit, formalizing Samuel sort of stepping down from his position of power, despite him still being there. Mm-hmm. And this solidifying there is then recontextualizing the covenant around how this stepping down and this rising up would work. Sure. Is that the purpose of the chapter? Do you feel? Or a purpose of the chapter? Uh, There was another thing I saw (laughs) about how this is the, this is the point in which prophets become the like, the classic, the way we see prophets in the rest of the Old Testament as like the hermit, outside of the town that comes in and condemns the people and like says the words to the king like hey you're messing up god wants to tell you that Mm -hmm. um this is where the prophet becomes that the 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 judger or the leader of israel gets separated from him um and we mentioned that in the previous episode where you see like the prophet king kind of idea and then like the king the the prophet priest and the king prophet Mm -hmm. with samuel and Saul. Um, and you see he's kind of removed now from the, he's not leading, he's advising. Sure. He's not, he's not, um, he's not representative of the people to God. He's representative of God to the people and the king. Right. Um, and, and that's probably reinforced with the whole legal, you, I'm, I'm innocent. You've, you know, yeah. you can go through. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't stolen any of your donkeys or Samuel's. And I'm retiring, but I'm still going to teach you. Yeah. Right. I'm not leading you anymore. This isn't on me. Don't come to me when you've got issues. Go to the king. Like, I'm washing my hands of this. This is mm. Saul's problem now. Um, but there's a there's an interesting... This is also, I think, one of the... Like you were saying, with Saul, we've got this shift. But then with David, we've got a shift. And this is... This is a, this is a shift. This is one step up to, uh, the the 
we're getting closer to the Christ image. Okay. Um, with King because of Christ being, as we mentioned, you've got the priest prophet and the King prophet. And as we get further through the old Testament, and then you get into post exile where you've got like the priest King with Joshua, you're starting to see the blending of these stations until eventually with the new Testament, you got Christ. It's the priest, prophet, King Messiah. Um, and so now we're seeing this junction between yeah, the, and you, the, and you see the that two worlds. Even, even brought a little bit about with how Saul is like, yeah, but like, wasn't he, didn't he prophesy? Is mm-hmm. Saul among the prophets? There's a little bit of yeah, a blurring right, there. Yeah. And, but then with Samuel, there's a bit of a blurring with, okay, but he served in the temple. So he's a prophet and he's a priest. So there's some blurring mm-hmm. there, some blurring there. There's some, you know, yeah, interesting stuff. And, Weird. But, and, yeah, so what I'm saying is like, yes, it's a shift in the covenant, but it's a, it's, we're getting, God is revealing the future relationship that will happen with the people ultimately. Sure. In the future. Sure. Um, and I think a that's a pattern cool. that has come that will follow kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Well, and that even gives, that makes the Saul fighting Nahash in the wilderness interesting also, like more so. Um, because that's what Jesus did. Anyways. Hmm. He fought the Ammonites. Yep. Fought the Ammonites. Um, what else do we got? What else do you got? I got more notes, but my iPad's off. So I'm going to turn that on. Um, I, know, I was uh, I was quite content with what we got. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I was about to wrap up. But uh, if you feel like uh, you got something still on your heart or on your iPad... <laughs> Either one. <laughs> um, How mad do you think Samuel is at the people? His emotions, like even in the first chapter when they desire a king, he says nothing. That's true. It's all God telling him to say things. And he says, don't worry, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And so it's, I. It seems like he was hurt at that point. He does seem a little. Yeah. Yeah. He does. A little bitter. I think we see his emotions in the next chapter. Okay. I, I think that's when we start to see what Samuel thinks about this whole thing. Yeah. Up until now, he's like Saul, been passive, hmm. just going yeah. along with the motions, telling people what God is saying and telling and talking to God about what the people are doing um, as this kind of intermediary. And I think in the next one, when we see Saul and Samuel talk, we're like, oh, this is Samuel's been having these thoughts for a while. Sure. Yeah. What are you talking about? Our, our next uh, installment in this series covers how everything goes well and Saul is an amazing king and doesn't yeah. drop the ball. And as history has shown, everything just goes great after that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, uh, Joel, do you want to run us through the end here? Yeah. Um, we're in the end zone, folks. And... <laughs> <laughs> Did we get six points in the... Uh... It's scoring time. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and let's just let's For just the touch down on this last last point here. This analogy is terrible. <laughs> this is awful. <laughs> this is the worst ending we've ever had. Um, if you if you'd like to suggest a better ending, uh, email us at secondratesaints at gmail dot com. Check us out, or uh, yeah, Gmail. Yeah, what's up? Or our other uh, website, Arc Watchers. <sighs> Artwatchers. Artwatchers.org. Sorry, what? Shut up. <laughs> what is an Dude, Artwatchers.com? All right, you got to watch the newest episode that's coming out like right now. Oh, I um, missed it. It's that. so Dang good. It. Archwalker. Well, Archwalkers. 
What? Archwalkers Holy is a moly. different domain I also want to own. Again, the worst ending we've had since the ARC episode. Oh, do you um, want to retry? Thanks. No, we don't want to retry. Thank you for listening. Thanks for making it this far. If you've put up with our terrible touchdowns, um, then check us out at secondratesaints.com. Email at us at secondratesaints@gmail.com. Check us out on our Twitter at secondratesaints. And also Instagram by the same name. We were able to get most of our handles. Um, the Lord made you special, and he loves you very much. Bye-bye.